gentlemen, good morning. Chorus people, welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Welcome to this process of making Star Wars. Our director is back in the booth here somewhere is George Lucas. And uh, I'll thank you for him also. Glad you're here. <laughs> We're going to begin today's work with the woodwind setting at 33. Just winds, please, 33. One, two, three. I've been uniquely fortunate to continue to accompany George on this great journey that he's on, which seems now to be a, a life's work journey. Johnny really understands movie music. It's not just music laid in there, it actually tells the story. fans and moof milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 182 of blast points this is jason and this is gabe and this is month number eight of phantom menace year we are talking about the score of the phantom menace and who else to talk about the score of the phantom menace with but host of the soundtrack show one of the greatest podcasts out there ever all right i gotta cut you guys <laughs> it's too much i'm blushing i'm getting embarrassed over here the one and only mr david collins david thank you so much for joining us today thanks jason thanks gabe for having me oh and to talk about the phantom menace score that's like when you asked hey do you want to come talk about this it's like hitting me in the weak spot right there of course i'm gonna <laughs> talk about it you know uh, the phantom menace and get, you know it's 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 not often you get to talk about prequels and, and prequel music, so I'm always game. Yeah, when we were like, oh, we, how, how are we going to do an episode on the score of The Phantom Menace and not cover, like, we, I think Gabe and I had said, like, well, David Collins, he's already done that. He's done panels. He's done complete series of episodes, <laughs> you know, like. Well, you know, thank you. And you know what I haven't done, though, is just sat around and, and just kind of geeked out about it. Well, I guess oh. I have, well, you know. We all have privately, maybe just not in a podcast. Anything you want to talk about about the score, I, I I love it. It's it's crazy to say, but it might be. I I hate ranking Star Wars scores, and people ask me this, but it really is one of those scores that is top of mind when I think of Star Wars music, and that's a big thing to say considering how many 
incredible Star Wars scores that John Williams has produced, and we're about to get another one. But yeah, The Phantom Menace is right up there at the top. So leading up to the summer of 99, leading up to Phantom Menace, I mean, we all had our doubts whether we expressed them publicly or not. Somewhere in our heads, we all were like, I mean, I, I know I like, I know I feel like Gabe and I, we both had faith in George Lucas, but it was going to be our first new Star Wars score in 16 years. And I, I remember being like, what is that even going to be like? What, what was that like for you? Just thinking like, what is this new Star Wars score going to be like? I, yeah, it's funny. I have distinct memories thinking with every line of The Phantom Menace when I first went into the theater. Every time a line of dialogue was spoken, my I remember actively having this thought, that's a future classic line. That's a future classic <laughs> line. Like because because I remember thinking every line of the classic trilogy, every musical moment, every shot is so obsessed over, you know, by me, by my friends. And here we were getting more. And I remember thinking, you know, this is important. It's like Richard Dreyfus and the mashed potatoes. This means something, you know, <laughs> everything was so important and epic and overwhelming. And I, the only track I heard going in, of course, was Duel of the Fates because of MTV. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I forced myself not to listen to the soundtrack before I went in, even though I bought it on May. I think everything came out on May 1st of 99, like and. I, there's that classic story of I, I know I've told this before in panels and in podcasts, but I went to uh, Strawberry Records on. Oh, no, no, it wasn't Strawberry. It was Newberry Comics on Newberry Street in Boston. And I picked it up because it was right there on the shelf. It was brand new. And I see Qui-Gon's Noble End <laughs> as a track title. I, I screamed an expletive in the middle of the store and realized I, I, I did that. I, it was like involuntary. And then I didn't listen to the soundtrack at all until I saw the movie. So it was like too much to take in to get back to your question. It was too much to take in the first time I saw it, the music and the dialogue and the visuals and the story was like, it was so much, but fortunately I saw it three times in 24 hours. So by the third time I was like, yeah, like really listening to the music. Yeah. I guess I had some trepidation going in, but I was still so blown away by duel of the fates. What did you guys think when you heard duel of the fates the first time? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you where I, that, I, and that's still my rule where I will not listen to the score for a new Star Wars movie before I see it. And I was right there with you. Like a maniac, I bought the soundtrack the day it came out, but I just kept it in its plastic. And I was like, <laughs> for some, some way I had self-control, like I will not listen to it. But I was the exact same way. I mean, you could not avoid Duel of the Fates. It was on, it was on TRL. It was like, Carson Daly in Times Square with kids screaming in the street and like, and here's John Williams, Duel of the Fates. And yeah, in between like Britney Spears and NSYNC and Christina Aguilera and like, yeah, yeah. you had John Williams. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I remember, and I think this is an interest, the, the, this, the nature of just the Phantom Menace in general. Like, I remember thinking Duel of the Fates was so interesting because I was like, this is so, it seems so different than what we were so used to Star Wars music at that time, and maybe what we expected star, of Star Wars music at that time. And that's the exact same thing could be said about the film, The Phantom Menace. It was, you know, so bold and so daring and took so many chances and maybe changed the way we thought of Star Wars and the, the mythology and everything. And the music, I was like, Duel of the Fates was a perfect little capsule of that. It really was, and it was... It was funny because we had never had any 
real big chorale singing before Duel of the Fates. So it was a very, I mean, it, when it came out, it, it was so bold. I just remember thinking, man, that is a huge stylistic choice. And in college, I had sang with a symphony chorale, a piece by Carl Orff called Carmina Burana, which, um, you know, has been used in a ton of movie trailers and was particularly in fashion in the 90s in movie trailers and in movies. I mean, it was in Natural Born Killers. It was in John Borman's Excalibur back in 1981, I think. It was in a lot of movies, you know, bum, 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 dun, 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 auf de Krishis. Whatever. It's in Latin. And like, it was also in John Williams's 1996 Summon the Heroes CD uh, for the for the uh, Atlanta Olympics. It was really top of mind. I think that sound was really top of mind in the in the 90s. But you know, I was I went back and looked at uh, my notes from the panel that I did on on episode one music back at uh, Celebration in Chicago in April. One of the things that I think is so cool is him kind of the way he kind of conceived of a lot of his writing in the 90s. You know, um, this is post Jurassic Park, where Jurassic Park was almost worshiping these animals. You know, it could have been a horror movie, but instead he he was he captured the childlike awe and wonder of seeing these dinosaurs for the first time on the screen. And he went almost uh, religious with it. And he did the same thing for The Phantom Menace. He kind of wrote this, you know, and and he did it with uh, Spielberg's, you know, Hymn for the Fallen in uh, Private Ryan. It was something something in that mode of writing that he was in in the 90s, maybe. I'm just kind of kind of thinking about this for the first time. But he was he was writing a lot of music in this kind of elevated, almost sacred uh, style. And so he approached this fight almost like a ballet, like they were in a giant temple. He actually says that in an interview. He found this text that was uh, from an old Celtic poem called The Five Sacred Trees. And it's from a book by uh, of translations of old poetry, Celtic poetry by Robert Graves called The White Goddess. And he was reading through it. And he knew about this poem, The Five Sacred Trees, I think, because he had actually written a concert orchestra piece about the five sacred trees just a few years prior. So all of these things are top of mind in John Williams' head the first time he sits down and he sees the Phantom Menace with no music in it in the spotting session. So that must have been, what, fall of 98? And so he goes in and he sees it and he's like, all right, well, choir would be the thing. I think I'll I think I'll use a choir uh, almost like it's a dance of eternity, you know, this, uh, this good and evil dance that's been going on for millennia. And uh, he chose this one verse of this poem about the battle of sacred trees or the five sacred trees, the battle of the trees, which was, I think it's under the tongue root a fight most dread while another one rages behind in the head. That was, and he took that and he's like, let me try it in all these different languages. And he ended up with Sanskrit as the language that he was going to use. And the reason I think he chose Sanskrit, well, what he said was it's not what I think. It's what he actually said. I'm remembering <laughs> um, two things. One, it's a dead language. So it's not one of those languages that, you know, if you localize it in a different uh, country, someone's going to recognize it. So no one's familiar with the sound of that language and those words. But two, it also has very pure vowel, vowel sounds, kind of like Italian, which is great for singers. And so he just chose a couple words like dread and battle and fight and that's what you're hearing when you're hearing Kora, Ratama. 
I just did this whole episode on the soundtrack show about the Lord of the Rings. Sorry to switch franchises, Uh, (laughs) but I did this whole episode about the text that Howard Shore and all the team in New Zealand came up with. Well, it's actually all Tolkien text, but it's in different Middle Earth languages. You know, that's around that same time as well, 2001. You know, choral singing, I think, was just really fashionable at the time and obviously very effective because that's the most uh, chill, inspiring moment of all the Phantom Menace is, you know, hearing that choir sing at you. It's almost like the effect of a Greek chorus. And then I just have one more point I want to make about this, which is in Return of the Jedi, I feel like he was starting to experiment with it. You know, it, when you look at the Emperor's throne room and the Emperor's theme, you know, with the, with a male chorus going, hmm. well, by the by the end of the the Return of the Jedi, you have Luke and Vader fighting in Emperor's throne room, and the choir starts going kind of nuts, and the music gets very operatic, almost like this Greek chorus telling a a, a story that is future legend. You know. And I think that same energy from that Emperor's throne room in Return of the Jedi is exactly what he went for in The Phantom Menace. Almost like that is an echo of something that had happened uh, a generation before. I just, I love Duel of the Fates. Obviously, I'm a huge geek about it. (laughs) And I'm sorry I just gave you that whole word vomit about it. But uh, I I went there. I wanted to get it out. Discuss. (laughs) You don't have to apologize for anything. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's totally like how it's almost like with Phantom Menace in the end, you know, now that we know how everything goes, it's kind of almost as much Palpatine's story as anyone else. And having the music kind of tie into to the big Palpatine parts from Jedi really kind of ties the two together really nicely. Yeah, it really does. Well, and then on the on the choral thing, like what the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest Easter egg in any movie ever, you know, with the, the chorus of children singing the happy Palpatine song. When did you discover that? And did it, how much did it blow your mind? This must have been somewhere in the mid 2000s. It occurred to me. I was listening to the soundtrack. You know, the Ultimate Edition had come out, the two disc. And I had the other one too. Actually, I don't know. And to be honest, I don't remember which one I was listening to, but <laughs> I listened to everything in my car, um, all, all my CDs in my car. And I was just driving around. And, and there's something about, you know, listening to the whole soundtrack through. Where, you know, you hear mm, a few times and that sort of pattern of one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five must have been that sort of rhythmic pattern must have been in my head. Because when I heard da, da, dum, ba, da, dum, da, da, I was like, oh, my God, the Phantom Menace. (laughs) (laughs) That is that is the scene where he is actually being the ultimate phantom menace. You asked me uh, before we started about anything I I discovered recently, and I I became really interested in, you know, a lot of other film scores working on the soundtrack show. And this had come to my attention years before, which is that uh, apparently that piece of music is, uh, was tempt. There was a temp score from a movie called Pawakatsi, the second movie in a three-part series, first one's called Koyana Skatsi, I think, from the early 80s. Anyway, this movie from the late 80s um, has this piece that sounds, it's got that same sort of like parade kind of uh, almost Brazilian type of sound. (laughs) 
And I was looking at uh, at at Palakazi and what it's about, and it's about these developing countries and how they're taken advantage of by giant corporations. That's what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's an interesting parallel because that's exactly what the Trade Federation did to Naboo in order to get. That's what Palpatine had the Trade Federation do to Naboo in order to actually weasel his way in to becoming the chancellor of the of the of the republic. Just the levels of that, you know, the celebration of of this kind of local planet, which has just kind of rediscovered peace between these two species, and they're celebrating, but really it's even though the music is happy, the message is not. You know, the message that we all know is that they just got duped into war or war is coming. You know, we know this now after the fact, but man, th- that piece ages really well, I guess. You know, the more you think about like these children singing in the street and the fact that it's kids singing this song of of freedom, you know, when they're really uh, they've just been had. It's just so horrible. And it and it makes The Phantom Menace such a better title title, in my opinion. What did you guys think of The Phantom Menace title when you first heard it? Because I was really taken aback by it, honestly. I was not expecting a Star Wars movie to be called The Phantom Menace. I was surprised by it, but I think I was always kind of okay with it because it was like, it sounded like just this kind of wild pulp adventure kind of thing. But over time, I think it's really, like you said, proven itself as potentially the best title of all of them because it just ties in with the whole saga and then the movie itself. And just the more you watch the movie, the more you realize just how much phantom menace there is kind of packed into that movie. I feel like my favorite Star Wars titles are like right now for the rise of Skywalker, you can ask five different people, what do you think that means? And you'll get five different answers. And I also really like the period after the movie comes out, like the discussion of return of the Jedi, does that refer to Anakin or does that refer to Luke? And everyone's answer is completely valid and it's an, it creates an interesting discussion. And I like those kind of more mysterious thought provoking titles and i feel like the phantom menace yeah when it first came out i was like huh that wasn't what i expected i think with everything at the phantom menace with the score and the film and everything the more in these 20 years that you dig into it just the richer and richer it just constantly becomes you know what's interesting too actually this is something that sam whitward just said to me a few days ago he said he was he was talking to somebody that just saw the phantom menace for the first time and their comment to him was and this is something we didn't know necessarily walking out of the theater of the phantom menace but we know now which is what makes it so cool but the comment that this this guy said to sam which is i don't understand how that trade federation thing that george lucas set up is supposed to turn into the empire and sam went oh no 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 the good guys become the empire and he would and the guy was like oh well no that's interesting it's like, well, yeah, that's the prequels. The prequels is that, you know, this war is fabricated by the Phantom Menace. The the clones attack because he created the need, you know, and and the Republic eats itself and becomes the Empire with him right at the top of it. I mean, that's a, an interesting trilogy. You know, it's not what you expect at all. It's something I mentioned in talking about Attack of the Clones, not to jump too far ahead, but I think it is relevant to the phantom menace which is that you get this kind of like 
Imperial March light with the Trade Federation when they first land on Naboo, and you hear the Trade Federation march. That whole thing. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's like a mustache twirling <laughs> kind of like almost vaudeville or or uh, uh, you know like a, a an old you know uh, matinee serial bad guy you know type of mm-hmm. march you know and I thought and it's kind of kind of meant to be that way but then the payoff of that march doesn't come in Phantom Menace it comes in Attack of the Clones when. You when John Williams rescores it, you know it's not a re-edit, which I think you know people can, might think it is because there is some Phantom Menace music edited into the Attack of the Clones, unfortunately. But this is an actual cue that John Williams used when Obi Wan sees the clone army for the first time. What do we hear? And it's slower and it's more menacing. And it's like, oh, that's the Battle Droid Army 2.0. This is these are more powerful than battle droids. This is this is the real army. This is the real thing that we're getting at here. And and what it suggests is, oh, look, the same person ordered up both of these armies. That theme plays both sides of the war in those two movies. And it kind of tells you. In that moment, even though you'd say, who's Master Siphodius? I don't know. No, the music tells us that Palpatine ordered that army because we heard it in The Phantom Menace. You know, like that that level of musical storytelling combined with the prequels kind of being that subversion of like, oh, no, the the, the good guys become the Empire. That's what makes, uh, you know, The Phantom Menace one of my favorite scores is it's planting all these seeds that get paid off later. Well, it's neat in the way, too, that that the droid music is kind of an early version of the Imperial March in a way, too. So it's kind of like as the visuals slowly transform from Phantom Menace through the movies to what you remember as the original trilogy, Star Wars, the music to your ears almost does the same sort of thing where it's like it's just close enough. And next thing you know, it's the Imperial March playing. And before you realize that you're you've been converted to the dark side in a way. It's also got, this is an actual interesting one. This is a new thing, speaking of new discoveries. I'm always interested in kind of the rhythm, rhythmic patterns that you can find that are similar through Star Wars. And triplets is one of them, you know, bum, 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 you know, and in Attack of the Clones, da, da, dee, da, da, dee, da, ba, da, 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 you know, it uses the same rhythmic pattern as the main title. So does the Trade Federation march. Bum, 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 bum. It's kind of got that connection of this is the thing that the hero or the new hope will have to overcome. This is kind of the beginning of it all. Um, and so it, it doesn't give you um, bum, 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 obviously, but it gives you this kind of beginning of it all. You know, it's prequel writing. He's writing everything backwards, which is just so neat. You know, when you make those discoveries and you're like, yeah, you know, that that eventually that that tune gets taken over by bum, 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 when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are rushing through that hall and tearing battle droids down like paper. I love that stuff. I love that one is kind of a response to the other. Hasn't William said, too, that Anakin's theme, this gentle lullaby of a theme for little Annie on Tatooine, isn't it the Imperial March, like he says, deconstructed and rearranged? 
in on that same on that same path that piece is yeah he did say that and and um so i don't know if you guys were able to go to that panel in 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 uh, chicago that i did but i spent a lot of time talking about anakin's theme and it's this theme that of all the themes in star wars i keep coming back to and just trying to deconstruct because it's so complicated it just jumps all over the place like it literally like kind of like his midichlorian count, the note count is so high. Like literally <laughs> it's like all the notes it's, it goes all over the place and it's got a lot of little pieces of other themes in it, you know, like this, it starts off right. Then it goes, well, the other piece that starts off with is this, you know, it's got all these little Easter eggs all over the place in it. Um, a little bit of, uh, of Vader's theme. You know, obviously at the end it goes. Um, it actually states it at the end, but I wish I could, you know, get into the to the whole thing. But it's also got a little bit of that uh, Yoda lift, you know, to give you the force. Bum, bum, bum. Right? If, but instead it's going. Right. It's it's doing all these little things that are callbacks to other themes or since he's writing in reverse will eventually blossom into other themes that you hear later if you're watching the movies in order, you know, numerical order. And and the Imperial March is definitely in there. It's just it's such a complicated theme, but it's like it's like Anakin. You know, it's 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 almost like the the big I call it the musical Big Bang of Star Wars because it it almost contains all the DNA of so many other themes. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, explodes outward as Anakin comes onto the scene and creates the story, but it was all kind of written in reverse and the Imperial March is in there, but I hear all these other things too. And, and I just got to think, well, that it can't just be me sitting here thinking that, uh, poetically that this is there. I, I mean, why did he write such a complicated melody, which is, you know, jumps all over the place, you know, Why would you write a melody like that if you aren't <laughs> trying to if you aren't trying to make some kind of statement of of it containing everything? I, I really Anakin is a it's a fascinating piece. But then you listen to the London Symphony Orchestra play it and they play it with such lyricism, you know, and it's it's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but it's a fascinating piece. And um, I think it's one that we quickly kind of forget about because, you know, try and hum it next time. Yeah. you're. But that's like kind of what's so great with just the Phantom Menace overall, too, is like the movie, the visuals just got more elaborate and complicated and and layered and the story got bigger and more operatic. And and then the music like John Williams wasn't going to be left behind by George Lucas. And he basically raised the music up to be just as complicated as as the film itself. And it's like wall to wall music almost. With the exception of the pod race and a few other sequences, there's it's there's just so much music in the movie. Yeah. Well, and thinking about it now, twenty years twenty years later, just how many iconic themes are in that soundtrack is just just nonstop new stuff coming up every couple minutes. That's you know still classic to this day. I keep thinking about how like when you were talking about the visual storytelling, and I know I, I, I there was like a featurette or something on one of the DVDs or one of the something where. I think either Williams or Lucas said that, like uh, the mu- musical storytelling, 
going on in the Phantom Menace. And was that something new for the Phantom Menace or was that something heightened for the Phantom Menace? Because I keep trying to think of that level of the children singing the Emperor's theme or the, the richness of Anakin's theme. I mean, the music of the original trilogy is iconic and unstoppable, but I'm rambling. Can you, can you make sense of what I'm saying, Dave? <laughs> I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. Is it a new thing? I mean, I think it went to a whole new level. I don't know if you guys agree with me on this or maybe this is controversial. Maybe it isn't. But John Williams, as a writer, just grows and matures as he goes further in his career. I mean, it's almost impossible to say anything negative about what he did between 70, well, 75 with Jaws, you know, all the way up through, you know, what? I don't know, the eighties through hook, even Jurassic park. I don't know. Like that, that period is so sacred. So it's almost blasphemous to say this, but I feel like his star Wars writing reached a whole new level in the prequels. And maybe it's because the prequels were just so much more ambitious and telling a larger story and music was helping us track that. But yeah, to your point, George Lucas always said that they're designed to be like silent movies. I think that that's something that I know it went over my head the first time I heard that. I was like, I don't even know what that means, dude. Like what? It's designed to be a silent movie. Well, the music's the dialogue, but it's a silent movie. Well, silent movies were never silent. This is something I actually say on the soundtrack show a lot. Silent movies were wall-to-wall music because music was telling the story. It wasn't synchronized to picture. It was being played live while you're watching the movie. You know, if you were, if you were lucky enough and you were in one of those giant movie palaces in New York city or in a giant, some, some big city, uh, near you, then, you know, you got to hear it oftentimes with a full orchestra live, which is what we do now when we go, you know, to the local symphony or like the Hollywood bowl and you see a movie and you see an orchestra play with it. That's what they used to do back in the silent film days. You know, but more common in local theaters was um, an organist kind of just playing along and they had sync points and, you know, the reels would actually ship with books of suggested music to play along to. So they actually had some sync points and and great musicians were actually they built a whole career around this to the point where they were striking when sound came in because they were worried that, you know, musicians were going to lose jobs. But anyway, this is all to say that it was wall-to-wall music. So he's saying, well, the music is the dialogue. You know, and if you go back and watch, you know, some of those big, big silent movies, like even the comedies with Buster Keaton or um, I was just watching Metropolis. That thing has like a two and a half hour score that was written in the 1920s. And uh, and you can hear it now on Blu-ray, which is amazing. But like that's what he was going for, that sort of the Phantom Menace and the prequels is like the music is constantly giving us context for what's going on in the story. Cause the story is actually pretty complicated and it's kind of telling us what we should be feeling, you know, or what's really going on. Yeah. So I, I think you were right. It was always there. They did say that George Lucas did say that, but I think it reached a whole new level when we got into the prequels and you hear it really, especially, I feel like you hear it in episode one and episode three, you know, the bookends of the trilogy or of the sequel prequel trilogy are just breathtaking in terms of their music. I always thought it was really interesting bringing in and not to shift over to Attack of the Clones too much, but Duel of the Fates 
at the moment when Anakin is going out and searching for his mother, and there's that breathtaking shot of Anakin, that big Anakin filling the screen on his little speeder bike, riding through tattooing. And I, I remember the first time I saw Attack of the Clones being like, wow. Because we all associated that moment with the fight and Darth Maul doing the flips and everything, you know, and Kolo and driving really fast, listening to it in your car. And I still like to think about, like, what was the meaning of that? You know, because I was, you know, nothing is done. Well, maybe there's some parts in Attack of the Clones where you could say, you know, why is Yoda's music being played in the droid factory? But whatever. I always thought that was really interesting. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. To uh, I'd, I'd actually invite you to weigh in first um, because I, I still I still have questions about that. What are your, what are your thoughts? Um, obviously, you know, you, it's something you've that has struck a chord with you. Forgive the pun. Well, that's I mean, that's the moment where he's kind of starting down the dark path in a way. Right. So it's Duel of the Fates is maybe that's where it's kind of becoming more of a theme that's associated with what he's going to become as opposed to being associated with the bad guys or the Sith or something that that Anakin's not a part of until that point. Almost like we were you were saying with the uh, the droid music kind of being shown over the clones to kind of give you a hint that the clones aren't necessarily going to be the good guys for long. Yeah, it's almost like that's the moment where it's like they're saying this is important because he's about to act on an impulse. Something's about to happen to him that's going to change the entire galaxy. Just like the reminder. I mean, if Duel of the Fates is supposed to be this macro view of good versus evil type of piece. Here we are seeing Jedi in their prime and a Sith apprentice fighting for the first time in Star Wars, a fight that's been going on for forever in this galaxy. And then we hear it again over Anakin. It's like, well, I guess that means, I don't know. I mean, I guess that means that it, it, that, uh, something epic is about to happen, which is that, yeah, his darker tendencies, all of the things that lead him to take the easier, emotionally more gratifying instant gratification path is about to take place. And so that chorus comes in, you know, that's kind of all I've, I've really been able to, to make of that, you know, because it is a different recording. That's actually one of the things I always think about is like, well, is, are they just re-editing this in, you know, are they just trying to, you know, patch things together? Uh, you mentioned Yoda's, we won't talk about, uh, I'll get off attack of the clones, but editing <laughs> <laughs> that happened there. And there's music editing that happens in every movie, um, all the way back to the original Star Wars. There are edits that are made, but but that one was very intentional. The duel of the fates o- over that, you know. And I think what the Phantom Menace tells us is that this is an epic, very important moment. It is kind of paid off again later in Revenge of the Sith with Battle of the Heroes. So I guess that is kind of the most important character arc moment in Anakin's journey in that movie. I mean, you could almost say the 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 epic battle of good and evil is what's happening inside Anakin's heart and mind at that moment as he's going out, you know, to find he's going out to find his mom with good intentions. But what happens to her kind of pushes him over the edge to the to the bad intentions. Well said. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I got chills on that one. I've always wondered, and you know, now we're jumping even further to Revenge of the Sith, but that's okay. And I feel like you're the person to ask: Is 
is it in the beginning documentary? I can't remember where Lucas says like, oh, well, isn't John Williams like, well, is the chorus too much, George? Or I can I can scale it back. And he's like, well, no, we're, this is going to play again in the third film. And as fans, I think we all like got up and did the splits and high-fived complete strangers. And they're like, they're talking about the third one. Is there a connection between, aside from the obvious of the choral, but, but between Battle of the Heroes and Duel of the Fates, have you ever found common DNA between them? It's not really, there's not really like a smoking gun. These two are the same piece. They're kind of like, this is where we, the, the, the Battle of the Heroes is where we've ended up. This is, this is the way it went. If, if Duel of the Fates is kind of meant to be neither light side or dark side, Battle of the Heroes is the tragic death of, or the tragic eclipse of the light. One of the interesting things about Duel of the Fates, for example, is this kind of, it could have been any selection of notes. It could have been, um, I don't know if you're familiar with DS Irae, but it's kind of a musical word for death that's been around in a million film scores, almost like the Wilhelm scream sound effect has been in a million movies. This phrase, has been musical shorthand for death. You hear it when, when you hear it in Star Wars, actually. Uh, right before Alderaan explodes, you hear it. You hear it uh, really famously. It would bum 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 dun 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 dun. When when Baru and and uh, Uncle Owen, you know, the homestead's burning. You know, you hear Diosiri. Anyway, he could have gone dun 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 dun. dun you know, it could have been all evil and dark, but instead he's using you know bum 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 bum. It, you know, and the melody is going da 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 dee dum dee 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 dum. It's kind of the same kind of, especially these two notes rocking back and forth. Right, dun dee dun 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 dee no 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 no. He's kind of hinting a little at 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 this being a force wielding uh, conflict. You know that there's light side and dark side, and I guess that's where I'm going with this is that. You know, I, I start getting into like the actual notes going, why those notes? Why those notes? Where did that come from? I think it came from the force. Bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum. Whereas, you know, dual or battle of heroes is like, I can't remember. I think it's like, it's like got this kind of almost like X-Files thing, you know, um, it's, it's much darker. It's, you know, and, and then you've got this tragic, really long line of bum, 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 bum. I mean, it's so dark. Uh, I, I think that one is much darker than the other. I think the Phantom Menace still has a bit of a, this could go either way quality to it. Well, it kind of makes sense in how they're using it in Revenge of the Sith too, that Duel of the Fates is for Yoda versus Palpatine, which is pretty much the biggest dark side versus the biggest light side where when you get to Anakin and Obi-Wan, it's basically it's best friends fighting. It's not like real adversaries. So it's definitely a lot more tragic than it would be. You know, you you would expect Yoda and Palpatine to be fighting to the death, but not Anakin and Obi-Wan. Yeah. How did we get here? You know, there's that energy to, to that to battle heroes, which in Phantom Menace, I feel like it's more like what's going to happen. I think the music does some of that work on us. A little bit, you know, so I feel like there's even though it feels really dark and there is some darkness, you know, I would say that the arpeggio is doing kind of the light side work. But, you know, this kind of uh, this thing, um, Mm -hmm. that's straight out of the Imperial March, you know, to go from, you know, from one minor to flat six minor. Sorry to get technical, but that that's 
that's very much Imperial March and the force theme. It's like, it's light and dark meeting together and clashing. I think, you know, these are the ramblings of a madman you're listening to. So... Duel of the Fates has become so iconic. It's become like the Imperial Marches to the Empire Strikes Back. And so when you saw Solo and when Darth Maul appears and you get that hint of Duel of the Fates in the back, tiniest, nerdiest nitpick. But I was like, it, in my opinion, I was like, oh, I wish it would have been the... the what, how, what were your feelings with that? Oh, it's so funny. Well, when you get into Solo, like... I haven't really caught up because of my own experience. The The problem that I have it with the Disney era movies, and I don't mean I, I have a problem with them. I mean, I worked on them a little bit, but it became more personal, you know, because I was around, you know, when Sam was recording that stuff and, uh, you know, he was going back and forth with Ray Park and Ray shot it. Sam did the voiceover. There was a script change. I think Ray reshot it, lip syncing to Sam's performance. And then when that was done, Sam went in and did it in the studio again to get the sync perfect. Now, you know, now that they had Ray Park on film so that it was a true one-to-one, those two people creating that performance together and I'm I'm so close to that that mm. like I haven't had a time to like zoom away for you know and then doing just a bunch of uh, uh you know like voiceover work on it I haven't done the work that I've done on the other trilogies and you know John Powell's score I think is amazing there are some things I could talk about with that score you know what the way he treated Enfys Nest I I and I really like how he treated the the Kessel Run I I, I really enjoyed all of that stuff but to me I don't know if that Kororatama is you know, you really hear it, but you, but Palpatine's in the shot too, in the Phantom Menace and they didn't use it in the Clone Wars. So I, mm. I honestly, I don't remember exactly what they did, but I know that it wasn't that, but it would have been cool. I mean, it would have been, it would have been huge fan service. Of course it would have been huge fan service too. If he stuck out his hand and the dark saber flew into it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I really wanted that to happen. I am running Mandalore or whatever, you know, I don't know. It's probably too much, but that's interesting. I mean, it would have really, really sold. I really would have sold the moment in a way because that's we so re- relate that to Darth Maul, especially the first time he appears. But I think of that low brass, that bum, 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 when he's like, my apprentice, Darth Maul. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But I thought John Powell really did a great job of like incorporating other themes um, other than that moment. So I'm sure there was some discussion around that as to why they didn't do it. Part of it might simply be that they didn't have a choir. Mm. Oh, but they did have a choir. They used a children's choir for Emphis Nest. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I have to look, I'd have to research it, I guess. Well, we talked about Duel of the Fates. We talked about Anakin's theme. What is, through the whole of the Phantom Menace score, what's one of the smaller musical moments that you always respond to? Because it's, it's a movie filled with just little nuggets of themes. What's, what's one of the little ones that always gets you going? One theme that I am guilty of overlooking quite a bit, um, and it's one of those themes like the droid theme in Empire, is Jar Jar's theme. He's got a theme that just kind of comes and goes. You hear it a few times in the movie, and then it's gone, which is... Mm-hmm. 
I really think that's a charming piece of music. And you hear it a little bit. Oh, man, I'd have to look up my spreadsheet. I believe you hear it a little bit at the beginning of Attack of the Clones when he shows up. But it doesn't really survive tonally. But I think that that's kind of neat. Um, some more epic moments, like I, I, you know, when I realized that Qui-Gon has a theme, you don't hear it until they're getting ready to leave Tatooine for the first time. But there's this theme, ba da 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 da, ba da 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 da, ba 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 da da, right that that theme, and it really starts to play in a big way when he's when he encounters Darth Maul for the first time in the desert. Um, but even that wasn't quite selling me. What sold me on it being Qui-Gon's theme is that that is what you hear when Qui-Gon is dying in Obi-Wan's arms. Promise. Promise me you will train the boy. Yes, Master. He is the chosen one. He will bring balance. It's, it's a theme for Qui-Gon, which is neat. You know, and it never shows up again in Star Wars. It doesn't show up in the other other prequels. So it's just kind of contained to when Qui-Gon is making his big move. Uh, he won the pod race, and now he's getting the this young slave kid that's in, you know in slavery to this uh, Toydarian off the planet. He you know he gambled and won, and he believes that this is a prophecy thing. You know, and his theme kicks in. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Jabba the Hutt's theme shows up in in the Phantom Menace. Um, have you guys heard 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 me talk about this? No, do do tell. Um, yes, yeah. Jabba the Hutt is um, you know really only in the Boonta Eve flag parade sequence uh, before the before the pod race. His theme is interesting because it's all over the soundtrack of Return of the Jedi, and it's one of those concert pieces that John Williams wrote. You can always tell what music he thinks is really important or, or really special because he'll do what's called a concert arrangement of it, which is that it just st- stands alone as a performance piece that an orchestra could do away from picture or synchronization. In Return of the Jedi, he does Luke and Leia. He does the Parade of the Ewoks. And what else was on the soundtrack was Jabba the Hutt. Ironically, Jabba's theme as it exists, which is this low tub- tuba going, I can't remember, but it's like, it's like that way down here. It's like a solo tuba. It's almost completely edited out of the movie. You can't really hear it in the movie very much, Return of the Jedi. But it makes a huge statement uh, with a big brass fanfare when Fode and Bede, Greg Proops and whoever the other actor was, mentioned Jabba the Hutt. And he comes out on that patio and he's waving to the crowd. You hear the trumpets are going, da, 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 but the low brass goes, bom, 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 bom. and the trumpets go, that's Jabba's theme in that big sort of Ben-Hur fanfare. Yeah. Oh, man, you're right. That's great. It's really cool, you know, and so John Williams is like, well, maybe it didn't really survive Return of the Jedi, but it's in The Phantom Menace, loud and proud. <laughs> my, my mouth is hanging so far open. My, I, think my whole, I think my whole mouth just like dried out. I was, yeah. yeah, it's in there. It's in there. One question I get a lot is people say, I swear I hear Kylo Ren's theme when 
the queen's ship is landing on Tatooine because it, it's this really angry sounding French horn that goes, you know, it kind of descends the rest of the orchestra. I personally think it's a kind of a coincidence and just a way of kind of evoking dread in that they're on a strange planet. They don't know where they are, but you know, I'd be curious to know what you guys think. Do you know what I'm talking about that moment? Yeah. And I, I remember when that was all the rage, uh, people talking about it. I mean, I, for the longest time I swore, I heard, uh, Anakin's dark deeds during the forest battle in the force awakens. But Mm. I, don't, I also love that kind of stuff where this music is so constantly running through our heads. And, you know, like if, if you, if, you know, the, if a forest battle in the force awakens, if there's something, if there's notes that come close to it and if you can get the wheels turning in your heads and you're connecting dots in the story, whether it's purpose or not, I mean, I love hearing people somehow trying to relate why Amidala's ship landing on tattooing what that would even have to do with Kylo Ren. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, maybe <laughs> here's what you could do. This is this is the argument you could make. This is the planet where the Skywalker family begins. Ah. It's, it's where Padme meets Anakin. So I think that that it is kind of the fuel. Uh, at least that's what I gather. I, I don't know if I've actually seen that somewhere, but you know, it's I went like, well, how would that? You know, when I went down the road of like, well, is this a thing? I can't imagine because Kylo Ren's it is even of a theme. It's just a a quick collection of notes. And he actually said this in the force awakens. I just needed, if I could just establish a villain in five notes, that would work really well. You know, so it's not even a developed theme. It's just a motif. It's just a quick, you know, I I can't imagine when you do something that simple, you know, it's more related to, um, you know, Right. But you could also say that it's related to Ray's theme. Right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Ray's theme in reverse. I mean, I, I went over this all with the Force Awakens, but, you know, I just can't imagine that something as simple as, bah, 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 you know, is not repeatable in John Williams' vocabulary at some point. And I, we might be reading too far into it, but that's just me. I'd be curious to know what people think, because I still, I still don't quite buy that there's a connection. I think it's a coincidence. I get that one on social media. I'm trying to think of some other. What, what about you guys? What are some of your favorite musical moments in the? I one of mine in the Phantom Menace, the moment when Anakin is taking off in the Naboo fighter. my heart please <laughs> it's like that's beautiful and i still love that that's anakin's um, theme by the way that's an that's da 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 you know it's it's that kind of da 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 it's kind of a play on anakin's theme sorry but yeah all right well <laughs> i'm a, it's it's a great it's a perfect moment i love it and you get da 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 and then you hear da bum 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 it's chilling it's great. I never made the connection that that's Anakin's theme. And I'm just going to lay down for a little bit here. <laughs> Gabe, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> you, 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 you rest a little bit, Jason. I go, 
I I always love during the uh, after they get the bongo and they're going through the the planet core and I think it's at the very end of of the parade of the creatures biting them just that big swell of music I think when the when the big aqua monster finally uh, bites the other guy and they get away yeah it's full on monster music. It's just like a big fanfare little thing for a second there. And not to mention, oh God, I completely forgot about Otogunga. Oh, yeah. So you'll, you'll appreciate this as a game developer. When I was working on a game called Star Wars Starfighter, this was one of the first games I ever worked on at LucasArts. Uh, I think it was 2000. And it was very much a prequel Phantom Menace game. I mean, obviously, there was no other prequels out. <laughs> The music editor was a guy named Jay White, and he the the UI looked very slick and modern. And he edited in a loop of that choir going da 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 you know that whole thing. And it was on playing on a loop, and the test pit, the QA pit, back when we had an internal QA department and wasn't you know farmed out or whatever. I would be working late at night and it would, you know, PlayStation 2 kits would just be on and the TV would be on and you just hear it in a loop. I mean, just a constant loop. So every time you wanted to run to, you know, the the kitchen to make dinner or the vending machine or down the hall to, you know, another person you need to talk to about some issue, a producer or whatever, you would just, you know, you'd hear a bunch of machines playing that loop. That's what I always think of with that music is, you know, that LucasArts building late at night. It's very haunting. So as it did, it kind of ruin it for you a little bit just because you had to hear it so much. Or is it it's a it's a strong enough theme that you can uh, you can you can still love it. Yeah, it's if anything, all it does now is when I'm watching The Phantom Menace, it pops out to me as like, oh, that piece of music I've heard <laughs> so many times. And actually, that's a, another weird thing is that I started at LucasArts at a time when we made just Phantom Menace game after Phantom Menace game. We had just made Jedi Power Battles. And then I worked on Starfighter, Star Wars Obi-Wan, Galactic Battlegrounds. And then when we were doing Bounty Hunter, Episode 2, I think it just come out or something. Anyway, we were u- reusing that soundtrack again and again and again because it was the most high-fidelity recording at that point. you know. And um, the music was still fresh. And I just heard that music in every game we worked on for probably about five years, actually even more because we would cut it in. I mean, we cut it pieces in Republic Commando, Force Unleashed. That music was just, you know, re-edited into a lot of uh, LucasArts video games. So yeah, this is why I obsessively sit around thinking about this stuff. I've heard it. (laughs) It's burned into your soul. One of the beautiful things about Star Wars for me, Jim, and for all musicians, I think, is that people, in many cases young people who've never been to a concert and never heard an orchestra before, heard a symphony orchestra for the first time and felt not put off by it, but attracted to it. You can imagine my gratification when people come decades later, younger people, and say, I I got turned on to music because of, of movie scores. So let's do uh, a rapid fire round of some some quick Star Wars sound related questions here. Okay, our first one: your favorite 
Pod Racer engine sound. Oh, that's really hard. That's hard. I like Anakin's. It's very effective, but I mean, it's got to be a cross up, a cross between either obviously Sebulba or um, what's the one that's like. I can't. Remember. I don't remember the pilot, but I know what one you're talking about. Yes, might be Odie Mandrell. But I love how weird it is. You know, I love that it's very. You know, just like almost like. I don't know. It has a but voice. It's the thing it's about like, Bitburg. He has a voice. It's almost like the like a spaceship on the Jetsons or something, kind of like the very obviously sci-fi kind of a sound, more so than some of the other ones. Yeah, and, and when you do that and you contrast that, with, it gives Sebulba so much beef and weight by contrast. Anyway, I, I, I would say probably Sebulba's is the safe, safe answer, but I think that's by design. All right, <laughs> next one. What is your favorite droid sound? Ah, that's great. I mean, it changes over over time. I've spent a lot of time cutting BB-8 on Star Wars Resistance, and so I got to know those really well. And I will say, what's so great about that design is that he, J.J. Abrams, designed a very, very expressive droid in terms of motion. Its head can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Its body, just when it rolls even slightly, has, you know— such nuanced sound. Uh, it's to the point where I, I I cut everything up on a on a synth. I actually looped the rolling sound and I play it on a synth with a pitch wheel um, because it's so expressive. And then that way I can just do whatever I want instead of searching the library for it. BB-8 is just so expressive, and I'm not even talking about his vocals. I'm just talking about the sound of the the mechanisms inside him. Um, the vocals are great, but I mean in terms of my sort of emotional favorite, it's gotta be R2, you know, uh, there's a, there's an effect called ring modulation, which is really cool. And it's used on the droid whose name I cannot remember. He's torturing other droids in return of the Jedi. EV 99, EV 99. So he has a ring mod effect on him, which I think is just really cool sounding. And isn't that Richard Marquand doing the voice for him as well? Yeah. Because the thing about ring modulation is that it totally changes the sound of your voice. So, you know, you would never recognize. As long as someone's speaking clearly, it's going to sound cool. My favorite thing with 99 always, just when he says, splendid. <laughs> Next one, your favorite non-John Williams, non-symphonic Star Wars related song or piece of music. Man, it's so hard to give. These are so hard. <laughs> I, I can't even, you know what? I, let me just qualify by saying it's not, I can't think that it's my favorite, but I'll give you some great ones that just come up off the top of my head. One of the first things I think about is Dave Levison's force commander metal version of, uh, the Imperial March for a video game from 2000, kind of an ill-fated game, but that, that, you know, and I think the music was you know, bombed with critics at the time, but I just thought, wow, that's so metal. It's really cool. I really love the music that Mark Grisky wrote for Force Unleashed. Um, that was a really great experience for me because I got to co-produce that score and be at the uh, scoring sessions. And, uh, you know, be in the booth with this with the giant or, you know, conductor score in front of me. And I thought the way that he weaved uh, John Williams into that was great. I think Michael Tavera is doing a great job on Star Wars Resistance. It's got this kind of Alan Silvestri meets John Williams 
Dun, 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 dun. Um, um, which is which is neat. Kind of is a great energy for Kaz. That kind of um, uh, Marty McFly type of energy that he has. Tons of video. Go- oh, here's a here's a rare one for you. Pete McConnell is a video game composer. Wrote some amazing uh, video game music for a game that not many people played called Pitroids, which is like a Pitroid t- kind of puzzle platformy type of game. I think you can still download it on your phone. He wrote these jazzy, weird um, pieces of music for that video game. And then actually, this is just selfish, selfish thing to say, but the music in Galaxy's Edge right now is killer. I mean, I was blown away. I got to work on it a little bit, got to sing on it a little bit and went to Imagineering for a couple of weeks and worked with their music department. And they had hired a ton of composers to write just dozens of tunes from seemingly all over the galaxy. I mean, there's a there's an Ewok tune. There's a Jawa tune. There's like pop, there's all kinds of stuff. And that stuff is amazing. I hope they come out with a soundtrack for it. I I really don't know if they will, but I really hope they do because the music that plays in the cantina on Batu is amazing. You know, it's so true to Star Wars, but it's so new, you know, and kind of cutting edge. Say, we were hoping that they were going to put, eventually put an actual record store in Galaxy's Edge where you could just buy in-universe music, which we just thought would be the best thing. Oh my God, that would be amazing. I'm always sad when I go to Disneyland and go to the music shop on Main Street and it's more of a pin trading store now. Mm-hmm. I'm still one of those geeks that buys physical media. What is your favorite alien language in Star Wars? Uh, the first one that popped in my head is I, I always get a chuckle when um, you hear Bausch say, A Yoto, and the subtitle, <laughs> says, the subtitle literally says, I have come for the bounty on this one. <laughs> All of that? Wow. How did you do that? It's so economical. Obviously, Hatties is is the most common, but uh, we have this conversation about languages all the time. I I had to translate some scripts, you know, for different languages, and I was using, like, Quechua, and I was using gibberish. And I think Ben Burt's quote on languages for Star Wars is that it's more of a pastiche of sounds rather than something that's carefully tracked the way that Klingon is. With the exception of Hatties, that's the only one that seems to be really tracked. Um, so it's really just kind of strange sounds. And when it comes to strange sounds, I have to say I I, I was floored by Poggle the Lesser the first time I heard yeah, it. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> you know, and I actually ended up playing Poggle in Revenge of the Sith, the video game, because I was so obsessed with going, you know, um, and it, it shipped, uh, which is great. But uh because I don't think we had the sounds or, you know, come to find out he was using wax paper or kazoo and some other stuff. I mean, he did every trick in the book in order to pull off that language. That really should be the top thing in your bio, by the way, that, <laughs> that you played Bog of the Lesser. When we have you on the show again, we'll say, you know, the soundtrack show, but the voice of Pago the Lesser. <laughs> In a game from 2005. And I'm not even sure you can play right now unless you have one of those old consoles. I don't think it was even credited. I think I just, it was like a sound effect in a cinematic. You know, I don't even know. Here's what, have you ever, or would you ever, do a complete breakdown of Joel McNeely's Shadows of the Empire score? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, it's one of those like, add it to the list. It's funny, 
that score, uh, it's Peter Bernstein, right? That wrote uh, the Ewok Adventures, Caravan and Courage, and Battle for Endor. Mm-hmm. Great stuff in those. Oh, I agree. Yes. But it's it's kind of like, you know, when am I going to get to it sort of thing. But I remember that score really well. You know, I remember this the the theme for Shizor, and I remember the sound of that score. And I remember how excited I was for new Star Wars when it was coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I would totally do that. I would love that because I remember being so excited and reading the book to the score playing. Like I'm, like, I'm going to have a complete Shadows the Empire super experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. I would do. I would do that. I should have been reading whatever I was supposed to be reading for my course load in school, and instead I was reading novels and listening to the soundtracks on my roommate's <laughs> stereo. Our, our final rapid fire question: Your favorite Star Wars end credit medley? Oh man, I probably Revenge of the Sith because it's kind of a victory lap. It's kind of based on a Charles Gerhardt arrangement, I think. I believe, if I'm remembering this properly, but. It kind of goes all the way back through all of the the movies in a way. If you really sit and listen to the end credits, it's it's crazy how far back it goes. Um, it touches on A New Hope, uh, touches on, you know, obviously Revenge of the Sith. It's really good. I have to say The Force Awakens is really good, too. However, it got changed yeah. uh, for home video. Mm-hmm. So what's on the soundtrack versus what you can see digitally or on Blu-ray are different because the credits got extended, I believe in the home video releases. So it didn't time out the same way as it did in theaters. And that's the cut that you actually hear on the soundtrack album. That cut is great. And there's a really, really inspired thing, which is, and these are not rapid fire questions at all. I've totally failed. There's a really inspired thing where you hear the force theme, you know, you hear, I say, and then you hear right as a yeah. count, counterpoint and it's and then you hear and then you hear oops right because those those two melodies raise theme and and obi ones or the, the force theme what was classically obi-wan kenobi's theme um have the same chord progression and i and that was i think done very purposely by john williams you know, we can look for clues for that. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know, but I thought that was fascinating at the time that that's a, that's a great moment in the force awakens end credit suite. And then I guess I do have soft spot for the way that the empire strikes back ends. It's the ending that goes on forever. I think that's been in a million credits. By the way, it gives you all in the bass, you're getting the Imperial March. Right. Really clever. Uh, I love that one, too. So I didn't give you an answer for a favorite at all. I love them all. Yeah, <laughs> that's loving them all. So that's a that's a valid answer. Yeah. Okay, that, that might be the only right answer, really. David, this has been amazing. I I feel like I need I I feel like I need to lay down. I feel like I need a towel or something. I'm 
I think some blood is trickling out my ear. I think you might have blown up some parts of my brain here, but <laughs> tell the people out there, promote whatever you like to promote. How can people find you? What do you want to talk about? What have you got going on? What do the people need to know about? Sure. So, um, please check out Star Wars Resistance if you haven't. I'm the sound editor and mixer on that show. But uh, I have a podcast where I talk about all this stuff if you want to hear more. It's called The Soundtrack Show. You can find it online if you just search Google. It's available at any anywhere you, you get your podcasts. Uh, it's available wherever you download them, uh, you know, uh, Apple or, or Spotify, any, anywhere. So please check that out. I talk about every, anything from, you know, John Williams and Jurassic Park and E.T. And I actually haven't done E.T. yet, but Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, even older movies like Psycho and things like that. Uh, just did Lord of the Rings, um, Rocky. I've done a ton of movies and I'm preparing the third season for that now, which starts next month. Um, so check that out. The easiest way to find me is on Twitter at David W. Collins. If you have kids and you have Netflix, I play the dad and the boss baby back in business, which is a TV show on Netflix. Um, you can hear me in Voltron. You can hear me in the Star Wars films, Galaxy's Edge, doing random stormtrooper lines and dying like aliens over and over again. There's my claim <laughs> to fame. Now, yeah, that's that's probably about it. Um, and then, of course, on this podcast on Blast yeah. Points. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, I, if for any weird reason, people out there, you do not ris- listen to the soundtrack show. I know Gabe and I listen every week and so I'll text Gabe sometimes be like, have you listened to this week's soundtrack show yet? And I can't wait for it to come back. I'm so looking forward to it. Oh, thanks so much. Listening to you back in the day was an inspiration for us to start doing this show. And so having you on has just been, uh, it's been more than a treat. So thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And always great to talk about this stuff. You know, haven't had a chance to talk about Star Wars this hardcore since Celebration, and I definitely miss it. Well, anytime you need to talk about the prequels, we're here. You let us know. (laughs) (laughs) You need that fix. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Yeah, thanks so much. And I hope we get to do it again sometime. Us too. Thank you. Music is the magic dust of movies. You see, Star Wars was meant to be a simple hero's journey, a fantasy for young people. And then John wrote the music, and he raised it to a level of art, popular art that would stand the test of time. All right. Well, it's that time of month where we say a big thank you to each and every one of you members of the Blast Points Patreon army out there. And so we are saying a huge thank you to Robert, Nathan, Matthew, Darren, Brittany, Christina, Kevin, Rick Reed, I Rebel, Megan, Nick, Kathy G, Kevin, Gina, Jesse, Timothy, and Doug. Kara, Susanna, Francisco. Tim, Chris, Lawrence, Andrew, Joseph, Randy, Sam, Robbie, David, Ryan, Dustin, Jordan, Kathy, Kit, Stephen, Allison, Anuj, Ash. Thank you to Connie, Jay, Josh, Jeremy, Ryan, Adam, Brian, Patrick, David, Joe, John, Steve, Marie, Jay, Jason, Amy, Tracy, Dave, and Terrence. Mario, Stephanie, Jonathan, Matthew, Rodney, Amy, Craig, Steve, Brandon, Marissa, Neil, Michelle, Sean, Brandon, Richard, Tom, Ian, Aiden, Christian, Candace, Matthew, Jen, and Jesse. 
Thank you to Patrick, Jake, Emily, Amber, Sinatra, Will, Jackson, Michael, Paul, Kevin, Carrie, Justin, Mike, Rob, Jonathan, and Khadija. Angelo, John, Katie, Drac, Amy, Matt, Jeff, Olivia, John, Eric, and Todd. Thank you so much, each and every one of you. We appreciate your support so, so, so much. It means so much to us. And we cannot wait for you folks to get more of our bonus stuff that we love doing. Our special episode on more American graffiti just came out. Can you believe it? More American graffiti. It's like American graffiti, but there's more of it. It's crazy. It's crazy. We had never seen it before we watched it. We talked about it. You can go and listen to what we thought of more American graffiti right now. And we're going to have another commentary coming later this month that we cannot wait to share with you also. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. This is Captain Rex. You're listening to Jason and Gabe on Blast Points. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. iTunes, Apple Podcast Reviews, if you listen on some sort of Apple thing and you get done, you want to write a little review about Blast Points, go over there and do it, and we will read your review in an upcoming show. You know we love reading them. We say it every time, and it's the truth. And make sure you check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, and follow us on Facebook. And don't forget to sign up for the Blast Points Super Star Wars Chill Group, where it is always Blast Points all the time. And there's always good stuff getting posted. But that about wraps up episode number 182. A huge thank you once again to David W. Collins. And you're lucky to get your mind blown maybe once or twice, but there was definitely some uh, some brains flying around the room here. I, ho- I hope everyone out there enjoyed it as much as we did, yeah, because we had a great time talking to him. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David Collins. And, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
sorry, you guys. I, I, I just, to explain to your listening audience, um, you know, uh, I just finished, uh, a, a very busy time and I'm was so glad to talk to you guys that I feel like I've just completely exploded on the mic. No, <laughs> no. So apologies for dominating there. It's perfect. That's <laughs> Please perfect. Do. Please do. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. May the force be with all of you.